0: Chemical Watch Podcast.
1: Unlock the full value of your compliance and product stewardship with world leading insight and intelligence from Chemical Watch. To find out more or request a demo, visit ChemicalWatch.com. Chemical Watch, intelligence to transform product safety.
2: Hello, and welcome to this week's news podcast hosted by members of the Chemical Watch team. I'm Kate Lowe, Global Managing Editor at Chemical Watch, and for today's episode, I'm joined by our North America Managing Editor, Terry Hyland, Europe Desk Editor, Vanessa Zenzinger, and Europe Managing Editor, Lee Stringer. The subjects we'll be discussing today include the launch by animal protection groups and companies of, of a petition to pressure the European Commission to legislate a stricter ban on animal testing of cosmetic ingredients. We will also discuss industry reaction to a public consultation on the European Union's new sustainable textile strategy, closed, which closed on the 4th of August. The Commission plans to publish responses along with a summary report in early October with adoption of the strategy expected by the end of the year. But first, let's start with the latest developments from the US, where the US EPA has announced it is to extend until March compliance dates for Tosca prohibitions on phenol isopropylated phosphate one or pip three 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 one. In electronics and other commercial equipment, and will issue a new proposal soon seeking comment on a potential fur- further extension. Along with the final rule to delay compliance, the EPA said it plans to propose new Tosca ri- risk management rules for PIP 3.1 and four other persistent bioaccumulative and toxic or PBT substances that were subject to regulations that took effect in February. The agency said it would propose the new rules in the spring of 2023. So Terry, first of all, um, we've been waiting for this announcement since March when the EPA reopened all five PBT rules for public comment and delayed enforcement on the the PIP restrictions. So tell us us more what the EPA did and, and what it plans to do.
3: Yeah, hi Kate, thanks. So the EPA basically kicked the can a little further down the road. So First, like you said, uh, the EPA said it expects to issue new rules for the five PVTs, and those five substances are PIP 3 to 1, like you had said. That's a flame retardant and plasticizer used in many consumer products, uh, from some toys to TVs and computers, and it's also used as a lubricant in hydraulic fluids. Uh, There's also a rule for DECA-BDE. That's another flame retardant used in some computers, TVs, textiles, and more. PCTP, which is used to make rubber more pliable. Then there is 246-TTBP, and that's a reactant that is uh, also used as an additive in fuels and lubricants. And finally, HCBD, which is used as a solvent uh, um, and as a hydraulic heat transfer or transformer fluid and it can be produced as a byproduct during the manufacture of chlorinated hydrocarbons. So as Chemical Watch readers and podcast listeners know, the the EPA issued rules for these five BBTs in January. Um, And like you said, they took effect in February, imposing uh, um, partial bans on all five of these substances. So those original rules, they will remain in effect while the EPA works on the potential five new rules. And like you said, the EPA won't propose those until the spring of 2023. So the new rules will seek to address uh, to further reduce exposures to the five PBTs, according to the agency. And the EPA said it would consider things, excuse me, it would consider things like environmental justice to ensure fair treatment and protection to all communities, regardless of race, national origin, income levels, etc. But still, we won't see these even the proposals for about 18 more months, and much of the rest of the agency's announcement last week focused on the compliance the compliance dates for one of the rules, PIP three to one, and the EPA said, uh, as, as you would explain, Kate, that it will extend until March eighth, 2022, the date for companies to comply with those TSCA prohibitions on using PIP three one. Uh, in electronics and other industrial and commercial equipment, and the EPA said that that they could get pushback even further because it said it would soon uh, it didn't specify, but just said it would soon issue a new proposal and seek comments about the need to further extend that compliance deadline for the the PIP restrictions.
2: Okay, thanks very much, Terry. So, so why the focus on PIP three to one?
3: Yeah. Well, first I'll backtrack a little. So the the EPA reopened all five of those PBT rules back in March, seeking comment on the on uh, the measures and the restrictions imposed. And at the same time, the agency issued a no action assurance uh, specific for PIP three one, saying it would delay enforcement of many of the restrictions. Uh, initially, it delayed enforcement for six months until early September. Uh, this latest action gives companies now six more months to comply, uh, like like I said, until March 8th, 2022. And the reason for these pauses on enforcement uh, is in part because no other country has this sort of prohibition on PIP 3.1. And as a result, companies weren't really paying attention to how widely used this substance is in a lot of different products, especially electronics. And as the EPA and and many companies have discovered it is widely used as as a flame retardant, um, especially in the wiring for those electronic devices in our cell phones and laptops. And after the EPA sought additional comments uh, starting in March of this year, many industry groups uh, said, following through with the prohibition on PIP 31, even in, in September, when that no action assurance was due to expire, that that could disrupt global supply chains and lead to a shortage of all kinds of these products, many of them like our phones and laptops that are commonly used. The, the National Association of Manufacturers, for example, which represents about 14,000 manufacturers across the US said industry need could industry might need as much as eight years to phase out, uh, PIP 3.1 in all, all, uh, all articles. Because companies would have to investigate their supply chains, find out exactly where the substance is used, and then they, they would have to identify, test, and phase in uh, potential alternatives. And this past July, one company, Fujifilm, even said it would just stop selling uh, a certain, uh, in the U.S., that it would stop selling a popular type of film that's commonly used to shoot sort of landscape pictures. And that was simply because it contained very small amounts of PIP-3-1. So rather than try to change the process for creating the film, the company just said, we're not going to sell it in the U.S. anymore. So, so the EPA has delayed enforcement twice now to avoid more of this sort of market exodus that could disrupt things for companies and for consumers. Uh, but, but the EPA's latest announcement does have a bit of a warning for companies on what they have to do next.
2: Okay, so, so what does come next?
3: Yeah. So for companies that already provided comments when the EPA reopened the five PBT rules earlier this year, they'll, in a sense, have to do it again, but, but really with more detail. So specifically for PIP 3.1, when the EPA issues its proposal uh, to potentially extend that compliance date beyond March next year, uh, companies and trade groups will have to back up their claims with more detailed information. The, the EPA said that many entities that submitted comments on PIP 3-1 this year, uh, they did not provide specific enough information um, either about their operations um, or, or uh, provide enough information to support the need for a multi-year extension of those compliance deadlines. Now, this time around the agency said it wants documentation on how PIP 3-1 is used in articles throughout the supply chain, what steps companies have already taken to identify and test substitutes for those uses and what certifications might be needed uh, um, to update and then how much time all of this would, would take. So without that information, the EPA said that it would be unlikely to extend compliance dates any further beyond that March 8th, 2022 uh, deadline. And for the, the new rules uh, for all five PBTs, um, the EPA, uh, that the EPA said is planning, for, it, it's a bit of a waiting game uh, at this point. So, Kate, like you had said, the EPA won't be proposing those until spring of 2023. But these new rules likely will include new restrictions. So companies or NGOs that may have may have wanted fewer or more exemptions under the original set of PBT rules, they will certainly want to keep an eye out for any changes uh, when the EPA does propose them. And lastly, uh, litigation involving another of those PBT rules uh, that sought tougher restrictions on the flame retardant DECA BDE, that could potentially be revived. Uh, the, the litigation around DECA BDE was put on hold earlier this year after the EPA said it was reviewing all of the PBT rules. But now that the EPA has said what its plans are, uh, the NGOs that brought the litigation, they may want to forge ahead with, with the lawsuit. Uh, The EPA has to file a report to the court, um, and that's the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, in October, uh, laying out its status for the DECA VDE rule. So we may know a little bit more on that uh, in the coming weeks.
2: Okay, thank you very much, Toe, for that very comprehensive update. Um, So now let's turn to Europe, where animal protection groups and companies have launched um, what is known as a European Citizens initiative, in an attempt to pressure the European Commission to legislate a stricter ban on animal testing of cosmetic ingredients. Launched on the 31st of August by five animal rights NGOs as well as cosmetics companies Dove and The Body Shop, the initiative, which is essentially a petition, urges the Commission to ensure that only non animal methods are used for the safety assessment of cosmetic ingredients. The uh, European Commission initiatives allow members of the general public to request the Commission to initiate a legislative proposal that puts citizens on the same footing as the European Parliament and the European Council. In order to submit the Commission, uh, sorry, in order to submit to the Commission, the organisers need to collect at least one million signatures from at least seven. EU countries. The animal testing ECI has until the 31st of August 2022. So Vanessa, uh, firstly, can you just tell us, you know, what exactly the petition will ask the Commission to do, assuming
1: it's successful? Yeah, thanks Kate and hello. Um, So like you said, the initiatives overarching goal, really, is a stricter ban on animal testing of cosmetic ingredients. As you know, in the EU, it is currently illegal to sell or market a cosmetic product if animal testing has taken place on either the finished cosmetic or, importantly, any of its ingredients. And this ban was implemented under the EU Cosmetics Regulation and has been in effect since 2013. Now, this sounds like a pretty straightforward ban implemented under a legal instrument, so why the need for a petition? Well, the contentious issue behind it is that there are some overlaps between the cosmetics regulation and REACH, a law that sometimes requires chemicals to be tested on animals, and these very same chemicals might be used in cosmetics. And this overlap makes the ban less clear-cut than it would seem at first sight. So the initiative, the ECI, asks the Commission to ensure stricter rules that really only animal, excuse me, only non-animal methods are used for the safety assessment of cosmetics ingredients. And the NGOs and the two cosmetic companies that you mentioned want Brussels to clarify that the requirement to rely on non-animal data for the safety assessment of cosmetics ingredients must be applied and that animal data must be rejected, regardless of the purpose of the animal tests conducted. And beyond that, um, the petition asks for a couple of more things. It wants the commission to devise a testing strategy for cosmetics ingredients using only available non-animal methods. And the groups are asking for concrete steps with dedicated funding, ambitious timelines, cross-sectoral support, to develop and va- validate and implement human-relevant, non-animal approaches to identifying toxic chemicals and ensure a really rapid uptake of non-animal new approach methodologies among agencies such as ECHA. And on top of that, the initiative really links all of these goals back to the Chemical Strategy for Sustainability, which um, already sets out a commitment, actually, to foster research into tools and methods and models to move away from animal testing uh, and it is asking that this goal is really prioritised in the implementation of the strategy.
2: Okay, thanks very much Vanessa. Uh, the European Commission initiative stands against the backdrop of a debate on how rules governing animal testing under reach and the cosmetics regulation should be interpreted. So, can you tell us more about this?
1: Yeah, that, that is really the core issue here. So. As I mentioned earlier, there are cases when chemicals that are used in cosmetics have been subject to animal testing requirements under REACH. In fact, this it's not all that rare. According to a study that was published last month, um, data from animal tests that were conducted after the cosmetics regulation ban came into force appear in as many as 63 REACH registrations for substances used solely as cosmetics ingredients. And animal rights groups, as well as companies, cosmetics companies, have long been very critical of this perceived contradiction, saying that it is incompatible with the animal testing ban under the cosmetics regulation. It's often echo that's in the firing line of the criticism here. Um, the agency has been accused of being oversellers in, requiring, in uh, requiring animal test data under reach and to be reluctant to accept data from alternative non-animal tests. And itself says that animal testing is needed to make sure chemicals used in cosmetics do not, for example, pose a risk to workers who work in factories, uh, for example, producing cosmetics and could be exposed to substances during the manufacturing and formulation of cosmetic products at higher levels of exposure than consumers are. And says that at the moment, it is only possible to systematically apply alternative test methods for acute and short-term effects, such as eye irritation or bioaccumulation testing. But that animal tests are often essential for demonstrating long-term effects for human health, carcinogenic effects, for example. So this, this is a debate that has been going on for years. But currently, you have a real confluence of events feeding it. There was a recent court case, between a cosmetic ingredient producer, Simrise and ECHA, that questioned exactly this supposed overreach of ECHA requiring additional animal testing. Um, and then you have the chemical strategy for sustainability that will inevitably increase the need for animal testing by introducing new data requirements, for example, for endocrine disruptors. So I think these developments have given new life to the conversation about animal testing and the uptake on the, of alternatives and the acceptance or lack of acceptance of non-animal test data by agencies like ECHO. And fueled by this momentum, the European Citizens Initiative is stepping in at an opportune moment to gather the support of the public and try to cement the cosmetics animal testing ban. By the way, they're also supported by Cosmetics Europe, the sector's main trade body in Europe, Um, which sort of chimed in the debate and welcomed the petition as a way of bringing the issue into public debates, um, and is itself about to launch an initiative aimed at promoting regulatory acceptance of non-animal test alternatives. So this is clearly a a big issue for for cosmetics and the whole sector at the moment.
2: Thanks very much for that, Vanessa. Um, Now, in a separate move, animal rights NGOs have launched an attack on the European Commission's public consultation on the revision of the CLP regulation, the language of which they say is engineered to gather support for animal testing and the introduction of hazard classes for endocrine disruptors. Uh, Could you tell us a little more about this development?
1: Yes, well, speaking of a confluence of issues here, so this comes back to the chemical strategy, potentially increasing the need for animal test data. And one of the routes to this happening is the revision of the CLP regulation, which is expected to introduce new hazard classes that will require testing. And this revision is currently subject to a public consultation. And animal rights NGO are concerned that the questionnaire in this consultation is steering respondents towards backing or accepting plans to increase animal testing. Their concern is essentially that the questions are worded in a way that, suggest hum- that suggests human health and animal welfare are mutually exclusive and that animal testing is the only way to know if a chemical is harmful. Um, one NGO, Humane Society International, is asking the European Commission to disregard responses to two questions in particular in the consultation because they claim they misrepresent the utility of animal tests and the applicability of non-animal methods. And HSI says the questions are designed not to provide actual information on the process, but to cement the status quo and prevent progress, by which they mean the uptake of alternative test methods. These two questions are fairly long to read out now, but you can see them in the Chemical Watch article from 2nd of September that we wrote about this. And to add also that from, from a wider perspective, the HSI understands the consultation to be one of many signals that the European Commission is extending animal-based information requirements for chemicals. Now, when we published this article last Thursday, the European Commission had not yet responded to our request for comment. They have since uh, and said that they have been contacted by the NGOs and will reply to their concerns in due time. They did not address the concerns directly.
2: Okay, thank you very much for that, Vanessa. Now staying with Europe, uh, a public consultation on the European Union's new sustainable textile strategy closed on the 4th of August. The Commission plans to publish responses along with a summary report in early October with adoption of the strategy expected by the end of the year. Last week, textile industry association Eurotex told Chemical Watch that the European Commission and member states must prioritise market surveillance and enforcement of chemical regulations if the strategy is to meet its objective to tackle the presence of hazardous chemicals in textiles. So Lee, firstly, can you tell us more about the measures that Eurotex would like to see?
0: Yes, thanks, Kate. So firstly, uh, we should note that the enforcement of EU chemicals regulation uh, has been a long running discussion, so it's not the first time uh, industries called uh, the authorities to action on this. Uh, however, Eurotex has highlighted trends in the textiles market uh, that have perhaps made the issue more important. So for example, the trade body said uh, current figures show that 5 billion garments are made in the EU, uh, but 22 billion are imported annually. And apparently this has been growing steadily Uh, for some years and decades. So it stresses that the textile strategy needs to ensure that market surveillance and enforcement capabilities, uh, particularly those at the EU borders, are matching this increasing import market. Um, So to your question and to what Eurotex is specifically calling for, well, it's proposing the creation of a network of market surveillance authorities. Uh, And this would also include industry NGOs and other experts specialized in textiles, chemicals, sustainability uh, and it would focus specifically on the sector. Uh, The aim of the network would be to develop methods and solutions for rapid decision-making at customs borders uh, to test those uh, imported products. So Eurotex as part of this kind of launch of a um, uh, of a call to action around this network. It's launched its own project with partner Centexpel uh, a Belgian-based research, testing, and certification organization. And this aims to act as a kind of catalyst uh, and also support such a textile sector market surveillance network. So what they want this, to, this project to do specifically, uh, which is, by the way, funded by the EU's DG GROW, uh, aims to keep non-compliant products away from the single market. It aims to support uh, a network addressing chemicals and textiles and enforcing the EU's market surveillance regulation, which I'll come to in a minute. Um, And it wants to increase skills and knowledge of customs and enforcement authorities.
2: Okay, thank you, Lee. Um, So you noted uh, that Eurotex's, sorry, you noted Eurotex's view that enforcing chemicals and product regulations is becoming even more important with the rising number of substances being restricted so can you just talk a little bit about that
0: yes that's right Kate so while enforcement has been an issue for a long time uh, the trade body stresses that it's become more important with the increase in the number of substances being restricted in textiles uh, particularly in the EU This highlighted single restrictions adopted back in sort of 2014, Uh, It then uh, highlighted some others following moves by regulators to address groups. uh, First with the fast tracking of 33 CMR substances, uh, which entered into force in November last year. It then also mentions the current proposal to restrict skin sensitizers, which could potentially restrict up to a thousand substances under reach. And then, of course, the the big one, uh, the ongoing PFAS restriction proposal, uh, which has the potential to restrict thousands of substances um, as there are many in the group. Uh, it also pointed out on the skin sensitizer proposal uh, that Eurotex, uh, yeah, it looked at ECHA's socio-economic analysis committee's opinion on it, which said the many substances covered by the restriction proposal will make it impossible for authorities to check on all of them. Uh, And it stressed that enforcement needs to be a key consideration of EU authorities with this growing number of policies addressing chemicals and products. And it highlighted in particular the textile strategy, of course, uh, but also the chemical strategy for sustainability and the EU industrial strategy.
2: Okay, thank you very much, Lee. And um, is there any sign that the European Commission is responding to these concerns?
0: Yes, well, as I said before, it's been a long running issue, uh, but the EU has been aware uh, for some time. And in January this year, its market surveillance regulation came into force. Now, this aims to coordinate and strengthen certain enforcement activities. Uh, and this includes the EU Product Compliance Network or the EU PCN, uh, which aims to ensure coordination and communication between market surveillance authorities of the EU countries. Um, And it also uh, wants to strengthen the work of informal groups of market surveillance authorities called administrative cooperation groups or ADCOs. And these groups meet several times a year to discuss issues in the area of competence and to ensure efficient, comprehensive and consistent market surveillance. And that's actually um, what Eurotex is proposing for a network is is one of these textile specific ADCOs. To support the regulation, the market uh, surveillance regulation, the Commission's also developed uh, the information and communication system for market surveillance, or the ICSMS, and this is a communication platform for market surveillance authorities. It's uh, quite a new system being developed. It's also worth noting that under the chemical strategy, the Commission committed to looking into establishing an EU audit capability. So this means that audits could be carried out in member states where relevant, uh, to ensure compliance and enforcement of chemicals legislation, in particular REACH, uh, and it can also, it would also potentially use infringement procedures where necessary. Uh, and the commission told me that it's working on this at the moment, and it's possible that it will be part of the REACH amendment that's going on. Uh, and finally, the issue of enforcement is also going to be discussed at the next chemical strategy roundtable meeting on the 25th of November. Uh, the roundtable group Uh, was created to support the European Commission in achieving its goals and comprises a a mixture of industry groups, companies, civil society, scientific and international organisations.
2: Thank you very much, Lee. So that brings us to the end of today's episode. So thank you again to Terry, Vanessa and Lee for sharing their insights into today's stories with us. And thank you to you, our audience, for listening to today's episode. For more on the topics discussed today, please head over to the Chemical Watch website at chemicalwatch.com. Until next week, goodbye. Unlock the full
1: value of your compliance and product stewardship with world-leading insight and intelligence from Chemical Watch. To find out more or request a demo, Visit chemicalwatch.com. Chemical Watch. Intelligence to transform product safety.
0: The Chemical Watch Podcast.